Let's, uh, let's all turn in our Bibles this morning to uh, Romans chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be covering verses 18 to 27 this morning. I titled this morning's message, The Glory Revealed in Us. As we started this eighth chapter of Romans, I shared with you that this particular chapter has 21 times that the Holy Spirit is mentioned. And so the Holy Spirit is made, a a big emphasis is made upon the Holy Spirit in this chapter. It started out by telling us that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's really the first evidence that somebody's a child of God, is that we have the Spirit of God living and dwelling inside of us. We're born again. God's Spirit making residence within you. But the Holy Spirit not only wants to make residence within us, but He also wants to empower us to live the Christian walk, to say no to sin, to to have power in our life. He wants to lead us in our daily decision making. He wants to be uh, in control, uh, being led and controlled by the Holy Spirit. That should be the desire of our heart. We have to ask God to empower us, to fill us, to give us... uh, His Holy Spirit in full measure so that we might walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to flip-flop, to go from the flesh to the Spirit, the Spirit to the flesh? God, if we could just be walking in Your Spirit hour by hour, minute by minute, what a difference it would make. The life of walking in the Spirit is is meant to be a life of victory. It's a victory over sin, but it's also a victory over death in our life. Are you experiencing victory over sin in your life? Are you, from day to day, the things you struggle with, are you seeing victory shouts? Daily. Things that you're saying, no, and you say, Lord, it's just you. You're strengthening me. You're doing that in me. Paul wrote in verses 9 to 11 of this chapter, he says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, He is not His. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit that dwells in you. That's a question that we all have to answer. Do I have God's Spirit dwelling in me? Because what Paul says here, if you don't, you're none of His. It's essential to be born again. It's essential to have God's Spirit take your dead spirit and make you alive by His Holy Spirit. This being born again, this being indwelt by God's Holy Spirit, it, its results are that you become a child of God. You're referred to as a, a son of God or a child of God. Paul here, he speaks of that being a child of God as a present relationship. In other words, it's not just something in the future, someday when you go to heaven, but here and now. You have this present relationship as a son of God to the living God. That's pretty incredible. But it's also going to be a future glory. 
There's going to be a time when we're going to have our new bodies and we're going to be in the presence of the Lord, face to face with God. That's also for the, the child of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, we're told in verse 14, these are the sons of God. If you're led by God's Spirit, if you're filled with God's Holy Spirit, you are the sons of God. But this sonship that we possess is also something that gives us confidence that we can approach God. Uh, Not just as some power in heaven. Have you ever thought of God that way in your BC days before you knew Christ? You know, God in heaven, some power in heaven, some greater, you know, this, but that's all he was. And then you gave your life to Christ and you realized, man, he's personal. He wants to have a personal relationship with mankind. And not only is he personal, but I can have this confidence that I can actually approach God in prayer, that he actually hears me when I speak, that he wants to dialogue with me. He's our heavenly Father. Verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is Aramaic for daddy. Some people have a hard time grasping that. To think of the creator of the heavens and the earth as one we can approach like a daddy. How many of you before you knew Christ We're calling out to Him in your prayers or in any prayer as Daddy. As your Father that you can trust. That you know loves you. That always thinks is always out for your best. How many of you approached Him that way? And now you've come to realize, I can approach God that way. This Sonship that we have is witnessed by the fact that His Spirit that lives inside of us enables us to be one of His children. You're a child of God. That's pretty amazing. I love God's plan. He created it all, you and I and everything in it, and then He just, because of His great love for you, He calls you His child. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. God's Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. You know, I think all of us here this morning that know Christ, we know it. It's not a question mark. We're kind of not, we're not, we're not, it's not going around our head. I wonder if I am. If it is that way in your head, (laughs) you're wondering if you are, then you better make sure that you are. Because when you are a child of God, you know it. And even though you may not be, you may be a disobedient child of God, you might be walking wayward, you still know it. Because God's Spirit that lives inside of you doesn't let you rest. And He doesn't let you rest because He loves you. Like a father does his own child. And if you are children, or we could put it this way, since you are children of God, then you're also an heir of God. And you're also a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Everything that the Father did for the Son, He wants to do for you and I. We're joint heirs. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, and then He says this, and this is the part maybe that we struggle with, if indeed we suffer with Jesus, that we also may be glorified together with Him. We went through that whole Passion Week. 
you know, the week leading up to Easter. And that word passion means to what? To suffer. Jesus came and He suffered here in this life. He was obedient and He went all the way to the cross on our behalf so that we might have life. But we're also joint heirs with Jesus Christ by the sheer fact that you've come into this relationship with Him. You're a child of God. And that we would also suffer with Him. And in that suffering, just as Jesus Christ was glorified after He rose from the dead and ascended up from that Mount of Olives to sit at the right hand of the throne of God in glory, we also, as His children, are going to be glorified together with Him. I shared a couple of weeks ago in this chapter that sufferings lead to glory. It's a different kind of a mindset, isn't it? You see, people that don't know Christ, you start talking in terms like that, that suffering can actually lead to something good. They don't buy it. They don't like it. And and in our flesh, we don't like it. Suffering leads to glory. That pathway to glory comes by way of suffering. You say, well, what kind of suffering do we... Well, I don't think I have to tell you. As a matter of fact, if you are a Christian, you have learned to some degree that there is suffering that comes along with it. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. He doesn't say it's a maybe. He doesn't say you might. But you will. Isn't this an encouraging message? I mean, you know, think about it. You know, we're we're called to suffer as Christians. And and there's all kinds of suffering that comes along with just the fact that we live in a fallen world. There's the aches and pains of life. You know, my hot water heater's leaking out on the floor, Alvin. And I've got to have a new hot water heater put in. You know, I mean, well, is that suffering? No, my hot water heater. But you know what? We go through trials of life, difficulties that come our way. It's part of living in a fallen world. But here's the good news. The glory that's going to follow this suffering is what makes the difference. Our suffering that we experience as Christians is not something that contributed to our redemption. You see, Jesus suffered that we might be redeemed. When He went to the cross and suffered on our behalf, it's so that we might have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Our suffering doesn't contribute to that because He did it all. But we also suffer with Him in that we live in a world that has fallen, but we have a hope of glory that is looking forward. Paul brings out three major doctrines in the first eight chapters of Romans. We already learned about justification in chapter 3 to 5. Sanctification is another doctrine. Chapter 6 and really all the way through chapter 8 where we're in today. But there's another truth that we need to know that's found in chapter 8 of Romans and it's called glorification. So you have justification, you have sanctification, and then you also have the truth of glorification. Justification really is that God saved us from our yesterday. Sanctification is that God is saving us today. Glorification is that God is going to save us tomorrow. You see, it's, it's 
our salvation is complete. Past, justification, present, that sanctification, though that is even a, a past work, but it's a present thing, God's sanctification that He's doing in our life by His Holy Spirit. But that glorification that we have not yet experienced, when you have your new body and you're in the presence of the Lord for eternity, that's going to complete your salvation. Sanctification is where God imparts His righteousness. Our justification is when God imparts His righteousness. Sanctification is when God, by His Holy Spirit, makes us more like Him. Glorification is going to be when God takes this mortal body. You know, the body that's feeling pain right now. The body that's breaking down. And He's going to give us a new body. A glorified body. One that's going to never wear out. It's not going to burn out. We're going to go on for eternity in these glorified bodies with Christ for eternity. That's good news. So what is the process? What is the pathway to glorification? You see... God's going to bring mankind full circle. Remember when God created Adam and Eve and He put them in the garden? Do you remember that it tells us in the book of Genesis that it was all good? It was perfect. God created it. It was all perfection. And He placed Adam and Eve in the midst of the garden. And then they fell. And corruption and a curse was put upon man and upon this earth. And from that point on, man and earth has been in travail, been under the curse of sin and the fallenness of this world. We know that this pathway, if we're to suffer with Christ, that it, if it leads to glory, then in this life we have to have a different mindset about suffering. And what that does for us. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, for our citizenship is in heaven. Do you see yourself as a citizen already in heaven? That's really where it is. You know, you might be a citizen of the United States of America, but your real citizenship is in heaven as a Christian. For our citizenship is in heaven from which... We also, listen to what it says, eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies that it might be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able to subdue all things to Himself. Paul says that God is going to transform your lowly body. In other words, He's going to change your body. Aren't you happy? <laughs> Isn't that going to be a great day? Changed bodies. Uh, this lowly body is going to be conformed. In the Old King James, I think it uses the word fashioned. Like His glorious body. Remember, we were made in the likeness of God, how He created us. It's just from the fall that man and his flesh, we became corrupted. This whole vessel became corrupted, sinful, and now it feels pain. And now we're not, it, it, the, in God's perfect creation, that's not what it was. But He's going to transform your lowly body, He's going to conform it, He's going to fashion it into. The, like His glorious body. Remember when in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 9, when uh, Jesus told Peter, James, and John that I want you to go up onto the mount. And that references what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And we're told that when they came up on that mount, that Jesus transfigured Himself before His 
disciples. It, it says that he fashioned, that his fashion or his appearance, that it changed. And they, they saw Jesus in his glorified state. You see, we're going to come into glory someday. We're going to have those new bodies. We are not experiencing that yet, but it's to come. The disciples had a glimpse of that glorified body. As Jesus stood for them, before them and was transfigured before them. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be all changed. When will that happen? It goes on to tell us. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump of God, when the Lord comes back, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Those of us that are alive and remain are going to be transformed, changed in that moment. We're going to be in our glorified bodies. Amen? <laughs> Colossians 3, 4 tells us that when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. In 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, speaking to Christians, now we are the children of God, present, now, you're a child of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. In other words, we're not there yet. It's not complete. We're not in our glorified bodies. But then it goes on to say, but we know that when Jesus is revealed, we shall be like Jesus, for we shall see Him as He is. Isn't that incredible? That's, what's, that's what we have, that hope that we have to look forward to. Justification. Sanctification. Glorification. It's coming. Now look at your Bibles at verse 18. Paul could now say, after considering all of this incredible work of salvation, he could say this, that the sufferings of this present life, that they don't even compare with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. In other words, we have to, to take all of the chapters ahead of this. If we were to take all of it about justification and sanctification and getting into chapter 8 here on glorification, all of this suffering that we read of in verse 17, that we will, need, we will also suffer with Him, it's a matter of perspective. Paul says in verse 18, For I consider... He's saying, for I consider because of what he just said at the end of verse 17. For I consider, that word consider means I count, I calculate, I conclude, or I have come to this understanding that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He doesn't say, not just through us, but someday it's going to be in us. Revealed in us. He reveals Himself in ways through our life now. But in that day, it's going to be complete in us. Glorified body. A new state. A new place with the Lord. When Paul says, I consider... He essentially is saying, I have mentally weighed the evidence out. As we went through these seven chapters of Romans, learned about our great salvation, it brings us to a conclusion here in chapter 8. A fixed conclusion. That the sufferings of this present 
time are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that is going to be revealed in us. Justified, sanctified, freed from sin and death, freed from guilt, freed from wrath, freed from the law, no condemnation. He calls you a child. He has given you an inheritance and given His Holy Spirit to you that gives you this strong assurance without doubt that you're a child of God. Look what He's done. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy. They're not even comparable to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Paul understood suffering. He lived a whole life of it. Probably in ways that most of us never will for the Gospel's sake. He says in in 2 Corinthians 11.23, he says, "...in labors more abundantly..." In stripes above measure. And you know what stripes are? Getting whipped. He says, in prison more frequently. In death often. In other words, I was at near death. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. That's 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I I had been in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of waters. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and in toil. In sleeplessness often. In hunger and thirst. In fastings often. In cold and nakedness. And beside the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Doesn't that exhaust you? Just reading that, doesn't that make you feel like, man, I don't feel like I'm suffering right at the moment? All we have to do is gather the right perspective when it comes to the sufferings of this life, that they're not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. It's coming, church. That day is coming. We also know that the Apostle Paul in his considering these sufferings, that he thought of them like light afflictions. This is pretty incredible to think of. 2 Corinthians 4.17, he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That's a mindset. He calls them light afflictions. Have you ever said to somebody or thought in your your mind, you know what, I'm really going through some pretty heavy trials right now. Heavy trials. And you know what, And, and many of us do at times go through some pretty hard trials. Difficult things in life. Very difficult things. But those things can be seen from a different vantage point. They, they, they don't have to be things that are just tearing you down, and, you know, but they can be light afflictions when we consider what we have in the future. I think Paul considered his trials and sufferings as light afflictions because he had the right perspective. He considered that the trials and the afflictions were light because he saw the exceeding and the eternal weight. Notice that's an eternal weight. Light afflictions. Eternal weight of glory. In other words, all of this suffering in life, it's worth it. For the glory that's going to be revealed. Paul also considered that the length of time that these sufferings would last 
was worth it. He says, but for a moment. These light afflictions are but for a moment. Again, it's his perspective. In Hebrews chapter 11, that chapter on the hallmark of faith, we read, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. It says that he is esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the reward. It's what caused all of these men and women in that 11th chapter of Hebrews to press on and press hard towards that finish line and that goal. To not partake of the passing pleasures of sin that are here in this life and say, you know what, I want to, have, I want to do both. I want to enjoy this life and enjoy, enjoy the eternity also. But he chose not to. He saw that the riches in eternity were worth waiting for. Peter, another person who was no stranger to suffering, he put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this we greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith... Do you see what God does through trials? <laughs> you see when we get tested? Are some of you being tested right now as I speak? Are you being tested in your faith through trials? That God is wanting to show you the genuineness of your faith. Uh, are you able to really know how strong your faith is unless you are put to the test? You get, your faith gets put to the test and then sometimes we come up short on faith and we go, I didn't do so well. I, I wish I would have went through that stronger in faith. Trusting God in a bigger way for that. But he proved to me through this testing that there's a lot more work to be done. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory when? At the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see, yet believe. You rejoice with, rejoice with joy unexpressible and full of glory. And then he finishes with this, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Is that the thing that you're really running for in life? Is that really your end goal? I'm going to be in glory with the Lord. And all of that's in between here, from in this life leading up to that day, it's all worth it. Peter also wrote in 1 Peter 5.10, But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Wow. What's God doing through suffering in you and I? That word perfect means He wants to make you fit. He wants to make you sound. He wants to make you complete as a Christian through suffering. After you have suffered a while, He wants to establish you. To establish you means He wants to make you stable. He wants your, your, you to be firmly planted as a Christian, uh, to be fixed. He, uh, after you have suffered a while, He wants to strengthen, which means He wants to make you strong, to strengthen your soul. And He wants to settle you. And to, through trials, through suffering, He wants to settle you. He wants to lay a foundation in your life. That's 
what God does through suffering in life. You see, everything that we endure and go through in life, none of it is wasted. None of it is going to end up being, well, why God? Why are you allowing this? Why me? I mean, you know, we, the, those things go on and on, don't they? How about, God, you're working something in me. You're doing something good. That if I didn't have to go this path of suffering, I may not be who I am today. I may not be the Christian that is standing strong like I am today. It's all worth it. God has a plan in what He's doing. Look at verse 19. For the earnest expectation, that earnest expectation, excuse me, it speaks of an intense anticipation of the creation. It eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. God's creation. What is God's creation? Man. It's the whole animal life. It's the earth. It's the heavens and the earth. Uh, God created it all and He created it perfectly. But even the earth as a result of the fall is with anxious anticipation. The creation itself is eagerly waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Did you know that how much... (laughs) Look at our world. We've messed it up, haven't we? You know that even heaven itself, you know, you go out into space. I went on and looked at this. You know that even heaven has become a junkyard. You can look at the, you can look at the living thing. They show all these pieces that are floating around in space through all the years. We're even turning the heavens into a junkyard. That's, that's this earth groaning in travail, like a woman in birth pains, waiting itself for the revealing of the sons of God. One day, we're going to be delivered from this body of sin and this body of corruption. And remember what we read in chapter 7, verse 24, where Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then his response to it, that question is, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's done it. He's going to deliver me from this body of death. Paul also said in 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. Do you feel like you're growing stronger even though when you go to the mirror you see another wrinkle? You know, you're growing older, but you're growing stronger. God's doing something in you. That's what we should be excited about. Look at verse 20. For the creation, this is God's creation, for the creation was subjected to futility. That word futility is also translated vanity, or it speaks of emptiness, or it literally means seeking with out finding. In other words, the creation itself, in a sense, is been condemned because of the fall of man, because of man just what man has done to God's creation. In, the, in a sense, the world stands in frustration because it's not doing what it was designed to do. For the creation was subjected to futility. And he goes on to say, not willingly or of no fault of its own. The earth and all of creation was subjected to man's fall. And, but because of him, and that him there is God. Look at your Bibles, verse 20. But because of him, God who subjected it in what? In hope. God allowed it. God knew it was coming. He didn't create the garden and go, oh, 
Look, they messed up. Like it took him by surprise. He knew it and he subjected it to man and what man would do to his creation. But God subjected it in hope. In other words, with a strong expectation, God knew that his creation would one day be delivered from the bondage of corruption. He knew that he was going to bring this full circle, the corruption of this earth, the corruption of all of God's creation, his creature is going to be turned, come full circle and be delivered. You know that there's coming a new heaven and a new earth? that what has been corrupted by man is going to come full circle. God knew that man would fail in this perfect creation. But he allowed it. And he allowed this creation to be subject to futility. Why? Because God loves you, and He loves mankind. And he, he, he came and He had that whole plan of redemption all the way to the cross to make a way for you and I. Verse 21, because the creation itself also will be delivered. Do you see that? The creation itself also Not only will you be delivered from this body of corruption, but the creation itself also will be delivered or it will be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. 2 Peter 3.13 says, Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, we look for a new heaven, heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I can't wait. Just think of what that day is going to be like in eternity with no more curse, no more sin, no more struggle, no more temptations. All of that's going to be gone. What hope? What great hope we have. And it's not that I'm hoping that it's going to happen, but with confident expectation, I'm waiting for it to happen. The same way the Lord is. He subjected His creation to it in hope. Not only is the creation groaning, but we're also groaning inside, aren't we? Anybody groaning here today? Got any aches and pains and just groaning within yourself? And not only that, verse 23, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Creation is groaning. It's feeling the effects of the fall. But we're also groaning and we're waiting for the adoption of our bodies. In expectation, we're waiting for that day to come. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of us is the first fruits. It's, in a sense, the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in you. It's the guarantee to you and I that He's going to raise your body up. Why? Because His Spirit dwells in you. It's why He will raise your body up someday into a glorified state. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit the day you asked Christ to forgive you of your sin and invited Him to come into your heart and into your life. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise, the guarantee that He's going to raise your body up 
to be with Him. That full adoption process is going to be complete. We're going to be in eternity with Him in our redeemed bodies. Verse 24. For we were saved in this hope. Not saved by hope. We were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Asking a question. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with what? Perseverance. Where is your hope today? Are you with confident expectation looking forward to something that you have never seen with your physical eyes, but with confident expectation, you're waiting for it in perseverance because you know that it's going to come to pass. That's the hope for every Christian. As a matter of fact, it's one of the three virtues of the Christian faith. The three virtues are faith, hope, and love. Those three things. You see, without faith, the Bible says it's impossible to please God. Without hope, we fall into despair. And without love, we're just like sounding brass, Paul says in Corinthians. We need all three. Faith, hope, and love. It's found actually 17 times in the book of Romans. In Hebrews 10.23, we're told, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Great verse. Without wavering. What's it mean to waver? <laughs> You know, I mean, I'm shaky right now. I mean, I'm losing a little bit of hope. I don't know if God's going to come through in this. You know, life is tough. And we start to lose hope without wavering. In verses 26 to 27, we see that there's going to be a, a guarantee that we're going to enter into glory. He says in verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The earth groans. Your body groans. And the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf with groanings which cannot be uttered. He helps us in our weaknesses. His Holy Spirit. We do not know uh, how we should pray all the time, do we? You ever come up short on what to say to God? God, I have no clue how to pray for this person, this situation, this thing. I don't know. But what I do know is you know. And the Holy Spirit of God is what makes intercession. But His Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. I like that. He knows exactly what the perfect prayer is. He knows, to, and He goes on your behalf to the Father. He knows your heart. Look at verse 27. Now He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You see, any prayer that the Holy Spirit puts before the Father on your behalf, it will always be the will of God. When we don't know how to pray, we can trust that we can say, God, would you intercede on my behalf? 
Would you speak to the Father on my behalf? Would you intercede for me? I need you to help me to know your will. I don't even know your will, but you know the best thing for me. We have a heavenly Father that loves you. We have Jesus Christ that died for you. We have a Holy Spirit that intercedes for you. Every part of God is for your good, for our benefit. The creation groans, the believer groans, the Holy Spirit makes intercession with groanings which cannot be uttered. God knows us. He knows our weaknesses. He intercedes for us and He prays for us. Incredible. He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You consider yourself a saint? I'm looking at a bunch of saints. That's how God sees you. Holy One. You're saints. He loves you. And He will always be for your good. You can trust Him. You can go to Him in prayer and tell Him you don't know what to pray. And He'll go on your behalf. He'll intercede for you. He'll meet your need according to His perfect will, His perfect timing. And you can be assured of that. We have this future hope of glory, glorification in heaven with the Lord for eternity. That's, that's the glistening on the diamond that I spoke of in Romans chapter 8 the complete work of your salvation, the final work to be completed, glorified with the Lord in eternity, forever. Amen? Amen. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, Thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.